let's continue. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. Now, as you know, we're doing a series and have been now for some time. And uh, this is the, the eighth installment of that particular series on holiness. And again, the question is, or we've been asking and answering is, what is holiness and how is it achieved? Because there's lots of confusion and controversy around this issue. It's just flat out. And I've had to live through it, study God's word and endure various trials in my life. And uh, I believe the Lord has shown me uh, some of the glorious truths that are contained in his word. And, and I'm doing my utmost to share that with you and teach it with you this morning. Albeit, maybe not perfectly, but I trust God is speaking to us and revealing these things to us. Because uh, really, the obligation for the Christian to live a holy life is, is really unquestionable because the answer is absolutely, certainly. And so we're not doing an exposition of Romans, but we've been looking at Romans chapter 6, 7, and now we're going to look at chapter 8 in our study uh, this today. And we're going to look further and establish further this, this doctrine of holiness and where it's rooted in Scripture and in our experience and our salvation and our Christian life. Now, you'll remember last week, I think, we looked at Romans 7 and the first specifically, uh, uh, we looked at the chapter in context, but we looked at the fact that we have been married to Christ and that uh, in, in, in we are to walk in the newness of the Spirit. That's, a, that's as practical now. There's the positional, there's the practical, and this is interchangeable Paul is actually using this consecutively, switching all the time as he's writing um, these, these chapters. And so we're trying to follow his thoughts. But we are to walk in the newness of the Spirit. And we are to bear fruit to God. And that fruit is the fruit of holiness. It's the fruit of holiness that Paul is addressing because it goes back to the question in chapter 6. Uh, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. What fruit is that? No, 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 not at all. And so we're establishing these glorious truths because uh, we're in the sanctifying process in which the Holy Spirit is working the fruit of holiness into our lives. We must understand this because the truth and reality is, is we have to learn. We have to learn to live and walk in the Spirit. This is imperative. This is part of the process of maturity for the Christian. You see, we get saved and the Lord begins a work and we just, in, you know, we're feeding off the pure milk of God's word. But as we go along, we realize through the various trials of life that we're going to have to learn to live and to walk in the spirit. And I've said this, it's not automatic. It's automatic in the sense that we can access the power of God by faith because faith is the premise for everything in, in terms of appropriating God's provision and his promises and his power and, uh, and allowing the spirit of God to work in our lives. And so faith is absolutely the foundation. But even in that, it's not automatic in the sense that there is still a responsibility. There's something that's required of us. And so the Bible is filled with instructions and exhortations to walk in the Spirit, is it not? 
You only have to read through the epistles to see this over and over and over again. And probably one of the most familiar ones to us is Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 16. And I'll just read it now, but I'll be rereading it again later. But Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. This is the internal civil war that we, we fight. And it's not the devil, okay? You say, oh, it's a devil. No, it's your flesh. And, uh, and so we, uh, uh, well, you know, there is a context to all of that, but yeah. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. We're seeing that in, in Romans, right? That's, the, that's the, why we're struggling in this real reality of not just for the unregenerate. The unregenerate sins naturally. But for the Christian, this is the struggle. But God has made provision. Look at verse 18. But if you are, what? Led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. Because no law can produce the fruit of the Spirit. The law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus can because it's from the spirit. And then when, it, when the spirit rules and when we are led by the spirit, walking in the spirit, then those fruits will manifest. But outside of that, there's no law that can produce holiness and righteousness. And we're seeing that. And that's what Paul's arguing against in Romans 7. So to be in step with the spirit is a challenge for all of us. Each one of us has to wrestle with this. And the Bible tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can disobey. We can uh, uh, rebel even. We can refuse to listen. We, cannot, we can refuse to submit to God. And so all of these things is part of the process for the child of God, for the Christian this morning. And so therefore, the issue of our, uh, our choices and learning to live and to walk in the Spirit is, is critically important. And this is the challenge for us, me as a pastor, as a, as a minister, to see God's people grow into maturity and live and walk in the Spirit. And it's a process. But you see, this is a sign of maturity for the child of God this morning. And this is the means to holiness. It's being taught and led by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to that. This is the sign of maturity, and this is the means to holiness. It's the Spirit of God leading you, teaching you, and directing you, and you learning to be led by the Spirit of God. So we need to tune in. We need to listen. And we all need to consider how we walk, because the Bible says you can walk according to the flesh, or you can walk according to the Spirit. And this is dependent upon the choices and the actions that we take and that we make. And so Paul is alluding to this in our text in Romans chapter 8, and I want to look at it with you. So let's read from verse 1 through to verse 14. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now there's a bit to get through this morning, and so tune in, lock in, and let's go through it. Because um, I want to cover various aspects in this, uh, in this session. Now we have verse 1. Now, is there anyone here, when I read that, you, that verse 1, that didn't have the whole verse? Is there anyone here? There is, now, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Does anyone have part B of that... Scripture not in their Bible. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Gee, he was all King James only here, eh? <laughs> all right, okay. Don't throw stones at me this morning, okay? <laughs> in fact, I'm on your side in sense. But in, um, what you'll find, as Sam mentioned, in, and the reason why, that's why I asked the question, uh, I know that people do use various translations and, and so forth, uh, but... Um, I, I want to make the point because it's interesting because this particular point in, in the latest manuscripts, they've, uh, they've argued the point that part B of that text is, uh, is not found in the original man manuscripts and was added at a later date. And so, and so there's a debate whether that's legitimate and what legitimacy there is to it and all the rest of it. And so, you know, I have to study that. <laughs> I have to, I'm confronted with it, so I have to process it and say, okay, Lord, I mean, I, have, I read from a New King James, okay? Always have. No particular reason, so it's not all theological. You know, it's just the first Bible I ever had, and it's the only Bible that I've uh, read. I mean, I've read others as I study God's Word, but to me, if I memorize <clears throat> and I read this, and that's been familiar to me. But let me ask the question this morning, because uh, uh, the, the point is being made. And I, I really had to wrestle with this. I had to search it out. And, uh, and in fact, uh, um, uh, I, I, I agree totally that the second half of the Scripture is relevant 
But as I wrestled with it, I have come to the conclusion. Now, again, stick with me, okay? Don't, don't, get, don't, don't, don't stone me yet. But I, I, I will accept that the second half of that scripture is actually not in the original manuscripts. Let's just accept that for the moment. And the reason why I've done that is because I believe that the initial context of verse 1 and 2 and 3, 4 and 5 and 6 and so forth there is, has to do with our position in Christ. Okay? That's why. But the reason why the translators added that is for clarification because when you look at the greater context of Romans 8 and our whole text, say, let's say to verse 14, there is a greater point that Paul is making as well in the context also of chapter 7 that relates to walking in the Spirit. And I'll, make, and I'll, I'll tie all this together, so bear with me, okay? So, accepting, let's just say for the moment it reads... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now the reason why Paul's making that comment is because he's just spent the previous chapter um, uh, in, in identifying us again being married to Christ. He's talking about the use of law and, uh, and how it gains an advantage over the sinful nature and causes us to fail over and over again. And we can't in ourselves attain to holiness and we can't produce holiness in terms of, this God's, of what God is requiring of us. And so he talks about the fact that we have sin in us and uh, to will is present, but we fail so often and we do the things we don't want to do and, and uh, don't do the things that we want to do and so forth. And so in this dilemma, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank Christ Jesus because in Christ there is deliverance, and so therefore you come to verse 1, which is again continuation, there's no chapter and verses here, and he says, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because in the struggle we have with the sinful nature, with the flesh this morning, is real for the Christian, and let's face it, who's here perfect? None of us can attain to that. And so, so when Paul makes the declaration, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, he's speaking positionally. Because that is our position in Christ. Holiness is a position, right? We've established that. Holiness is in Christ. We are separated unto God. And so the whole issue of the Gospels, he died on our behalf for our sins. And so, so that though we were guilty by, by means of the law and under the condemnation of sin, we've passed from death into life. We've passed from death and from judgment into life. So now in Christ, we are saved and we are now, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the position. And the reason why... I make that emphasis is because in the, in the following verses, Paul is establishing that aspect. It's easy to read those verses, and I've done this myself. And it's easy to relate the, the issue that Paul's teaching positionally to practically. Now, he does go practical. Don't get me wrong. We're going to get there, so bear with me. But I'm just saying that this is what Paul is emphasizing. And so, absolutely... There is deliverance. But you see, Paul's going to uh, establish the positional to establish the greater truth that he's expounding. And that's why 
they added that extra bit into verse 1 because they wanted to capture the context. But in capturing the whole context, there is the closer context or the more narrower context of those particular verses. But then when you consider the whole context, Paul is talking about practical holiness, bearing fruit to God, living a life that is holy and being led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And we can go on and on. And we're going to see that. So, so first one must be interpreted to mean positionally, and it is. We're in Christ. That's why verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, that's where we are, that's our position in Christ, the principal rule of life, in the, the spirit of life in Christ, has made me what? Free from the law of sin and death. Okay? Free. That's what he was arguing by being freed from the law in chapter 7, married to another, Christ. The newness of the spirit, the spirit of life. See, we're born again. We are in him. And that's what the issue that he's first making as he establishes that, that point. But he goes on, and let's, uh, he goes on to say, well, let's read verse 2, verse 3. He says, for what the law could not do, see so again he's speaking positionally, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. That's positional. And so Christ did that. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's what Jesus did. We can't condemn sin in the flesh. We're condemned by sin. We're condemned by the law of sin and death. But Jesus, who was perfect without sin and died on our behalf and died for sin, so he judged it. And he condemned sin. That the, listen, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That his righteousness is imputed to us. It is imparted. See, it's reiterated again and again. See how Paul's following these this, these thoughts. And then he says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Because if you are born again and you are a partaker of the divine nature, then the automatic assumption that Paul is making is that you are walking after the spirit, that you are living in and are being led by the spirit because that's what it's all about. So even if you want to drop even if we say verse 1 doesn't contain those words, who, uh, uh, it, clearly it's stated in verse 4 to establish further the context. And that's why I'll give the concession. Because then if you look at those first uh, four, four verses, it's positional. But clearly in verse 4, Paul is making a greater point and that we are not in the flesh, we are in the spirit. And he'll establish this further and he'll move to a practical application of it. And so that's why if you take verse 1 just in its context and say there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, you have to clarify that in the greater context of what Paul's talking about and we will do that. But let's continue. So we have verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, those that are in the flesh, those that are not of, uh, born again, those that are, are not 
in the spirit. That to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, we can take this scripture, and we do, and we take its principle, and we apply it to the practical Christian life, which is fine. It's, it's correct. But Paul is still speaking positionally here, to my understanding, because he's, making a, he's, he's contrasting the two. So he says in verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are, what? In the flesh, cannot please God. Doesn't matter what they do. They're in the flesh. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be in the spirit. And so that's, that's the position that Paul's establishing, but he's using it to make a greater point. And this is where he moves to in verse number 9. Look at what he says. But you, that's the contrast, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That's our, that's our position. Now listen to what he says. Because he makes a, a qualifying statement here. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You see, the Christian's default position is that we are in the Spirit. Okay? We are in the Spirit. But he, he, he says... And he wants to qualify this statement to them that he's writing to. And he puts a condition on it by using the word if. He says, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because he says, if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, then you are not his. That's a heavy statement, isn't it? He's writing to Christians here and he's, uh, he's almost question, he's questioning them. If, if you're in the Spirit. Because you might not be. You might not yet be born again. This is a possibility. I heard the brothers just talking before church and uh, with uh, uh, Ellie, and I said, I'm going to actually touch upon this in my message today. Because what is interesting is this Paul is asking a legitimate question, which is a legitimate question to ask. An offence should not be taken. Could you imagine the Romans reading verse 9 and say, how dare he say that? He's not trying to question, he's not trying to undermine your salvation. That's not what Paul's doing. He's just illustrating the fact that you have to have the Spirit. You have to be in the Spirit because if you're not, then you're not simply, you're simply not His. So don't go getting all outraged that one would, or offended that one would ask. Because if you're, and this is the whole point Paul's making from chapter 6, if you're continuing to, if you're professing Christ, but you're living the way that you live, doesn't reflect Christ and you're continuing in sin and you're disobeying God and you're bearing bad testimony to God, then someone's going to say to you, do you have the Spirit of God? How dare you ask me that question? That's a legitimate question to ask. I'm only wanting to clarify because your life's not resembling it in any way. Okay, you're professing it and it might be a legitimate profession. But the question remains, and Paul's asking the question. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you are not His. 
And so we have to remember that context this morning. And this, that's the reality. It's as simple as that. Because he goes on to say in verse 10 of Romans 8, let's continue to follow it. If Christ, and if Christ is in you, which he's saying, you, but you are in the Spirit, so the assumption is that they are. But hey, you can't assume that everyone is, right? <laughs> but if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You know, this body is going to be put off one day, church. I can't, I can't wait to put off this body, not just because I'm putting on weight, okay? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, who's, are you tired in your struggle against sin? Are you tired with the sufferings of life? Are you groaning within yourself to be clothed with immortality? Oh, God, bring it on, Lord. And so, that's a, that, so the, the body's dead of, because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, now listen to that again. Uh, because of uh, the spirit is life. Because if you have, if you are in the spirit, you have two things: life and righteousness. And that righteousness is not just imputed righteousness; it is practical righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about. Because the spirit of life in you is going to produce and seek to conform you to the image of His Son. And that's what holiness is. It's ultimately being conformed into the image of Christ. It talks about that in Romans eight, verse twenty-eight. Because the spirit, and, and that incorporates the internal and the external aspects of our Christian experience. Because we can all look good on the outside, but hey, it's the inside, isn't it? <laughs> all right, let's be honest. It's a lot harder to attain holiness internally than it is externally. We can all fit the part. The Pharisees did it well. And so... But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So we have, because we are in the Spirit. Now look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, the flesh, through his Spirit who dwells in you. So we can have this, and that is, that's why we can have dominion over sin. That's why we're, we're told to have dominion over sin. That's why we, we don't have to be slaves of sin with this body of death anymore. Yes, it'll be put off one day and all of its inclinations. But nevertheless, the Spirit of God now quickens our mortal bodies. It quickens the whole being, spirit, soul and body, so that we can live a life that is pleasing to God. And so the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, think about that. The same spirit is in me and is quickening my body. Wow. This is awesome, church. And so Paul is thinking positionally and he's thinking practically now. There's a shift from verse 9 onwards. That's the greater point that he's trying to move to and we'll continue to follow it. So look at verse 12. Because verse 12 becomes a practical application 
of the glorious truth and reality that it mean, of what it means to be, le, uh, be in the Spirit. So let's look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now think about that for a moment because Paul again, and this is what he was building on in chapter 6, and this is what he's emphasizing again, is the Christian's responsibility to God. The Christian's obligation to God. I mean, he uses the word that we are debtors. And so we have to understand that we are debtors to live what? A holy life, a life that is separate to God, a life that is pleasing to God. And then to live and walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. And that word debtor means that we owe God. We are obligated to him. To be in obligation. See, people just sometimes read this and think, well, well, it's, you know, it's not... It's there, but how, you know, is it really that necessary? Absolutely it's necessary. It is, you are obligated to do it. So we don't like that word, obligated. It's if I want to. Yeah, yeah, that's right, you still have a choice. And that's where that choice will come in. But you're under obligation. That's the point. You are, de- you are not a debtor to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You are a debtor to God to live according to the Spirit. The child of God who's born of God, who has the Spirit of God, is a debtor to live and to walk in the Spirit because the Bible emphasizes the fact that we must be led by the Spirit. And this is the challenge, to be led and to walk in the Spirit. You see, look at what verse 13 says. For if you live according to the flesh, what? You will die. We kind of we move through that quickly, but that's a heavy statement. If you, if the now this is talking about the Christian because the Christian can live according to the flesh, and still, okay, let's, and they're a Christian, okay, they're saved. The Spirit of God is in them, but they can still live and walk according to the flesh. And so Paul is laying out a consequence. If you do not meet that obligation and requirement of God in which you are responsible to, to, to live according uh, to the f- Spirit, if you walk according to the flesh and live according to the flesh, then he says you will die. You see, this is, this is serious because it's talking about a consequence. And so let's go back to verse number 1. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, positionally. Practically, if you're a Christian and you are, not, and you are living according to the flesh, is there condemnation? My answer is yes. Not in the same context as verse 1, but clearly in other places in Scripture, and I give an example in um, uh, second, is it, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, uh, 11, verse 29, where Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about their conduct around the Lord's Supper and, uh, and how, uh, in fact, let me read it. He says to them, I want to get it right. He says that you were eating and drinking 
judgment. That word judgment is condemnation or damnation in the King James. Damnation to yourselves. So, and the consequences is that you will die. And that's what was happening to those in Corinth, wasn't it? They, Paul says there are many of you that are weak and sick, and some of you are even dying or falling asleep. And this is the condemnation that you're bearing as a result of the fact that you are living according to the flesh. So it's not the same. That's why I make the distinction. It's not the same as what Paul is stating in verse 1, which is positional. But what he states in verse 14 is practical. And so we must understand that because, you know what, as, and I've heard it's true. You know what, if, if we're going to live according to the flesh and think that we can just uh, do what we want, then you know what, God, God will, will, one, he'll discipline us, two, he'll chastise us, but three, if he has to, he'll kill us. That's what the Bible says. Your spirit will be saved, but he may have to do that. And that's, that's a reality. And that in and, in and of itself is a condemnation. And so we can see Paul's reasoning. We can see Paul's thinking as he makes this statement. Because these verses that we're looking at now, this has to do with the Christian walking in the spirit, not according to the flesh. And then he goes on to say, and I want to draw your attention to it, because he says uh, in verse 13, but if by the Spirit, so if you're going to live by the Spirit, this is how it works. And holiness is not automatic in this instance. Listen to what he says. You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. You put to death. Or some translations say, you mortify the flesh. You put to death the deeds of the body. And this is constant. This is habitual. As long as we're in this body, we will, we will, we will wage this war. But we are required by God to mortify the flesh, to put it to death. And this is why he says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so you have to be led by the Spirit because this, if you are going to, uh, if you have the Spirit or are in the Spirit, then you have to live according to the Spirit and you must walk in the Spirit. Don't think you can just disobey God and get away with it. We never get away with things, never. What we sow is what we reap. It's, we can never escape these laws. And so, again, this is the challenge to be led by the Spirit of God. This is your relationship with God. This is you hearing God's voice. This is you being, allowing God to speak to you in, in his word, through his word, through the ministry and teaching of his word, or just in prayer as you, as you meditate upon God and are led by the Spirit. You see, that word led means to, to lead, obviously, as we, we just pointed out, it means to drive to drive and to carry. Now, this is interesting because I, I, it brought my attention as I was writing this. Peter, we were having a conversation last week about this. And, and I've shared this before, I think, at, at various stages, but I share it now because it's so much in the context of uh, my, my Christian life. Is 
Again, I've only, in, in my life as a Christian, I claim to have about three, three dreams and one, or two dreams and one vision, okay? 30 years as a Christian, and it all happened earlier in the first few years, so let's not get over, um, overexcited. But I tell you, it was from the Lord. And I didn't know the Bible inside out. Well, not that I know it now, inside out now. <laughs> but I, but I didn't, didn't have much knowledge of the scripture. But I remember having a dream and, and being impressioned that there was something seriously significant about it, like it felt real and it had a, a meaning. And, um, and what it was is I was walking and I had a book in my hand and, and all of a sudden I felt this big wind begin to blow upon my back. And it became stronger and stronger. And, and so I turned and I saw up behind me in the heavens a dark cloud. And out of that cloud was coming this wind. And this wind became so strong that it picked me up and began to carry me. And as it was carrying me, this book in my hand fell from my hand. And it was uh, being carried by the, the wind, but it was out of my reach. And I remember just being focused on trying to hold on to that, to that book and get a grip and get my hand onto it. And so I didn't know. I remember sharing that with a brother, and he said, "You know, the Bible says that the, the God dwells in the dark place and the dark clouds, and and you know, and all of those things." And and I began to see that the Spirit of God was speaking to me because the reason why I believe, in my experience, the Lord showed me that, is because it's taken me years to learn it. Because that book is self. And so often we want to live the whole Christian life according to the self and the power of my will and, and our understanding, and we fail often. We have to be learned to be carried, to be driven, to be led by the Spirit. And it's not that I've perfected it either. But this is what the Scripture is saying. This is what Paul is emphasizing. And so the question is to us all this morning, do we allow ourselves to be led of the Spirit? Or how often do we disobey and grieve the Spirit? So it ought not to be so. So we are free to choose, church. Even as Christians, we're free to choose. This is the point that Paul is making. We've been free. That's why sin shall, we are to, Paul says, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin and alive to God. That's what he's been teaching in Romans 6 of our position, so that sin shall not have dominion over you. And so we have been freed from the law. We've been freed from the power of sin. So we, you can't blame the devil and you can't even blame the flesh, okay? At the end of the day, the Bible says with every temptation that comes our way, God gives what? A way of escape. That we may be able to what? Bear it. So we're without excuse. So, but we all fail. I, I, we acknowledge that. But you see, we, we are to learn to walk. We are to learn to live. This is the whole, this is the whole uh, um, emphasis of Scripture. And the effort from our part is, 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 has many aspects. In fact, we are to submit to God. We are to obey God. We have to make choices. And sometimes we have to take actions in the will, in the sense, to do whatever it is required to obey God. And that's not in our power or strength. That is through God in us, working in us and through us, to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me, let me illustrate this further. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, where we went before. 
There's so much in this. Again, I'll read from verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, when you're walking in the spirit, the Bible says you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you're not walking in the spirit, then the flesh will have a greatest power or influence in your life. That's how it works. And in verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul's speaking to the Christian here. That's what it's like for us. In the same way of Romans 7, we fall into that same dilemma. But if you are led by the Spirit... See, that's, see, some people are so quick to quote Romans 7 to comfort themselves in all of their failings. But you see, that's not what that's there for. The God standard's higher than that. God's grace is not to accommodate for all of our failings, even though it does. God's grace is there to empower us to live in the way he wants us to live and to be free. And so, therefore... He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now let's go to verse, I won't look at that now, but let's go to verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have, note the word, past tense, have. Those who are Christ, those that are in the Spirit, have crucified. And that's the whole point of Romans 6. Have crucified. The old man has been uh, judged by God and he has been rendered and destroyed. And uh, so the power of sin and the power of the flesh no longer is to rule you, us as Christians. So in verse 25, look at what he says. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I mean, you think it's self-explanatory, right? But we don't get it sometimes. If we're in the Spirit and we're living in the Spirit, then we have to walk in the Spirit. And to do that, we require faith and obedience. That's always the key to victory in the Christian life. You know, I remember as a young Christian wrestling with the flesh and I kept failing and I was frustrated and I was tired of the temptation. And I said, God, just deliver me so I don't have to deal with this. Have you ever been like that in a situation? And then it would happen again, or the temptation would happen again. And then it was again, and I'm going like, why? I'm, I'm so tired of this. And I was like, God, just take it away. Just deliver me from it so I don't have to deal with it. You know, I realized that God was allowing those for those various trials. He was allowing for those temptations because he was trying to teach me a lesson. You see, uh, I was wanting God to do something for me when God was waiting for me to do something through his provision and through his power. And I realized that. And the moment I did, I had instantaneous victory instantaneous victory. You know, the best way I can illustrate it, there's many aspects in the scripture, but remember when God said to Israel, God said, I'm going to give you the land. He said, but go, you've got to go in and possess it. Everywhere, every, every, uh, every um, part that the sole of your foot treads upon is yours. You have to possess the land. But to possess the land, they had to go in there and they had to fight and they had to wrestle. 
And this is, the, this is all symbolic of, of the Christian life. As we're led by the Spirit, we, go into, we, we, we gain spiritual ground. We, we grow. The inner man, that's why the Bible says the outward man, the perishing, but the inward man's being renewed. The inner man is being strengthened. Why? Because of the power of God that is in us. That's why, not us. And when the inner man is growing, when the inner man is becoming spiritually minded, when the inner man is becoming spiritually mature, that's, that is the purpose of God for each of his children, to grow into Christ and into maturity. Go to Colossians, will you, with, with me? Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to highlight these things through various scriptures to illustrate the point. Look at verse 1. If you then were raised with Christ, which we are, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so ultimately, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears then we will also appear with him in glory. Amen. That's, that's, the, that's the ultimate purpose in which we will be glorified. But now in the process, look at verse 5. In the meantime, therefore, put to death, or oh, there's that word again, mortify, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so we see, because of these things, the wrath of God's coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, listen, but now, you yourselves are to put off, are to put off, put to death, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you've put off the old man, you have put off. So if that's your position, then make it, make it real in your life, the way you conduct yourself and the way you live. That's what Paul's saying. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. See how Paul is reiterating these same truths over and over? And so there are struggles. There's a war, there's spiritual warfare, there's the flesh we have to battle with. But, but, and that's, that's the key, but, there's the Holy Spirit. And God has given us everything we need and require to live a life of victory over sin, to live a, a life that is holy unto the Lord. And so sometimes when we use the word put to death, Sometimes it can simply just mean making a simple choice. You know, um, you know you, there might be something that uh, you're, you're confronted with, a decision you need to make, and you know that it's not right, or you shouldn't be doing that, or in that place, or whatever the case may be, and it's simply just saying no. Okay? It's a simple no. It's just a choice. But there are other instances, if you're going to mortify the flesh and put it to death, sometimes it's going to require a little bit more of a ruthless approach. Because let's face it, sometimes, uh, you know, the, the flesh, the, uh, there's nothing that good that dwells in my flesh, Paul says. Okay? 
So don't think that you can handle things. Sometimes the problem is, is that we think we can, in our own confidence, we can handle certain things. But, but the Bible is, uh, is, is telling us, no, no, that's not the case. In fact, Jesus said this, if your hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. Is he speaking literally? <laughs> no, he's speaking figuratively. He's telling you that if that's what's required, if that's the, what it takes to mortify and to put to death the deeds of the flesh, then that's what you need to do. It may not be for the next person. You might not need to go to certain extremes. Why do you have to do that? That's just being legalistic. No, sometimes I just I need to go to that because that's how I have to process it and deal with it. But if we make it the same for everyone, it's obviously not the case. But what is it that's going to take for you to mortify the flesh? What is it that's going to take for you to put it to death? And sometimes you might have to take an extreme measure to do so. In Proverbs 14, verse 16, the Bible says, The wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is self-confident. Can you turn with me to um, Tim, uh, 2 Timothy? It's going a little bit further. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So I want to highlight a couple of things here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go to verse 22 first. Paul says, Flee youthful lusts. Flee. I mean, is that an extreme action? Flee? He says, run. <laughs> run in the opposite direction. Flee. Don't just stand there and think, oh, I can handle this. Get out. Move away. Remove yourself from the temptation. Flee youthful lusts. Don't put yourself in a compromised position. That's the what, and so this is part of the process of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. In fact, he says, flee youthful lusts and what? Pursue righteousness. That's an act of the will. There's effort there that you, you pursue righteousness. Pursue what's right and what's pleasing to God. Verse 19, I want you to look at it because this is an important scripture one that I've grown to appreciate more and more as the years have gone on. The Bible says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those that are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And it goes back to Paul's point, really, doesn't it? In Romans 8, verse 10 or nine, where he says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. And so when we consider the fact that there are those, Paul makes the point, the Lord knows those that are his. And the distinguishing characteristic, the distinguishing mark is this, that those that name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You don't just continue to live and conduct yourself in a certain way and profess the name of Jesus. You may be saved, but you may not be. I don't know that. The Lord knows, because the Lord knows those that are his. 
But when uh, I see some, a testimony that's so contrary to an opposite to uh, in, in holiness, sometimes the question has to be asked. Don't be offended. I believe that there's a legitimate place for that. But I, I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. And I don't know these things. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows those that are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is the context of Matthew chapter 7. Because if you're going to make an application of it, uh, uh, and apply it to, to those that profess Christ and are Christians... Jesus said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not cast out demons in your name and do miracles in your name and so forth? And Jesus said, depart from me. What? We workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Not that they had lost their salvation. He says, I never knew you. It wasn't like I once knew you, but now I don't. I never knew you. The Lord knows those that are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord, if that's what you're going to do and profess Christ, then let your life re reflect it. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're without sin. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But we don't live presumptuously and habitually and continuously in, in sin. It's a contradiction. And if you walk according to the flesh, then you'll die. That's what Paul says. So, again, I know I'm, I'm emphasizing and it's strong here, but I'm trying to make the point of both because both are, are relevant and sometimes we tend to emphasize one over the other. And that's why I've done this series because I think as in the next few, we're going to look at some real practical applications of holiness and it's going to be quite confronting and deliberate and hit hard-hitting. But you see, unless you take the whole series into context... And you apply all the tensions of truth that are attached to this doctrine of holiness and see that we are required by God to be holy, for I am holy. Be holy in all of your conduct. Because in, in, in Peter it says God has given us every provision to live a holy life and to live a godly life. So this word depart in Timothy, where Paul uses depart from iniquity, it's interesting because it's the, it's the Greek word aphestimi, which is uh, used in chapter 4 of 2nd, uh, sorry, chapter, uh, no, chapter, chapter 4 verse, of 1st Timothy, verse 1, where it says, Spirit expressly says in the latter times that some will depart from the faith. That's saying that they will remove themselves, they will rebel against the faith. But yet Paul's telling us to depart from and rebel against iniquity and sin. So you can see the disposition that God is wanting us to have this morning. That's why I make the point. It means to desert, to desist, to instigate a revolt. You know, sometimes you have to have a holy rebellion. If I can use that word. Sometimes you just have to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm running and you just, and whatever it is, doesn't matter. You just need to take it. Oh, you're being over the top. Who do you think you are? No, you do what has to be done. 
Don't worry about what the person thinks and the criticisms. Other Christians will say, oh, you think you're more holier than thou. No, no, man, I fear God. That's why I'm doing it. I'm running. And so, depart from iniquity. Revolt against iniquity. Don't tolerate it, is what Paul is saying. And how often we do tolerate things that we ought not to. How often we give way to the flesh. How often we even walk possibly according to the flesh when we ought not to. And we are carnally minded. See, that's where we, we can apply the verse that we read earlier from Romans 6, uh, Romans 8, verse 6, I think it is, where he says to be carnally minded is, is death. Because if you're a Christian and a carnal, then you're going to reap what you sow. And if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Carnality kills Christians. Carnality is toxic because we are called to be spiritual and spiritually minded this morning. I pray that everyone's following the message this morning. And so when it comes to holiness, we, it's not an option. We have an obligation. We are debtors. And so may God help us and let us make it our aim this morning to walk worthy and to fully please him. Because for this reason... He has saved us. We are in the spirit. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray you again would take these words and quicken them. For your word is living and powerful. Quicken, Lord, by your spirit, God, to our minds and to our mortal bodies even, Lord, give life. And Lord, move us to righteousness. Let us, Lord, deal with issues. Let us examine ourselves and test ourselves whether we're in the faith whether Christ be in us, unless we're disqualified, is what your word says. God, let us, Lord, meditate upon this. Let us examine our lives. Let us, Lord, learn to be led by the Spirit, not just to live and walk after the dictates of the flesh and be dominated by the flesh, Lord. Oh, God, help us to live a holy life. Lord, and as we would yield ourselves and set ourselves and reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, we can, by faith, appropriate everything, Lord, that you've provided. And we are guaranteed, Lord, to live a victorious Christian life, which is, Lord, the normal Christian life. I pray you bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning.